0: You're listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast, hosted by Doris.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of the Doris Bridging the Gap podcast. Today I'm here with Emma Ainsworth. Hi Emma. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today um, and for welcoming me into the co-op environment and getting to know uh, me and and getting to know each other over the past... uh, months. Yeah, you're stuck with me now, it's fine. (laughs) So tell everyone a little bit about what you do, who you are, and why you're sat in the chair today. (laughs) Um, My name's Emma Ainsworth.
0: I am a Lean Operations Manager at the Co-op. I work within the CMO technology function, so a big part of my role is kind of bridging the very disparate gap between... IT and digital and the rest of our CMO area, so that's things like the community team, the customer team, teams that do amazing work, but they're not necessarily very commercially focused or very Mm -hmm. process focused, and a big part of my role is how do you get everyone to come together and understand the commerciality of what they're doing and make sure that we're really lean and we're really efficient. And I also business partner our internal communications and digital functions, which is hilarious because I do not have an <laughs> IT background. And I'm the least techie person you will ever meet in your life.
1: I always get these kind of people on the podcast. Like some, sometimes I get really techie people on and it goes over my head. And some people, we're, we both are like, no, I'm not technical, but yet yeah, work in technology.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important actually because there's a lot of skills that will bring to something that someone that's really technical won't because Mm. you see the world in a totally different way. Mm. So um, Simon Bourne, our CIO, constantly tells me that he loves having me in a meeting because I'll ask all the stupid questions (laughs) that they won't think to ask because they're so used to it. Like what the hell did that Three-letter acronym just makes Yes. <laughs> so many of the acronyms, but also things like, have we told everyone why we're doing this and why it's really beneficial to them? And they're like, well, no. Like, well, why are they going to use it then? Yeah, why Because they, they don't them. get it. So how do you make it really easy for them to understand it? Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to link things together.
1: So, yeah. So you're like a bridging the gap internal specialist. <laughs> we're trying to, Doris is focused on externally, trying to bring the uh, talent into the industry and then once they're here you're like right let's all come together
0: yeah and I think well that's a lovely way of putting it I think a lot of my role sort of outside my day job I do a lot of that so um, Mm. I'm a trained coach I helped to found grocery girls which is a network that supports women across the industry to achieve their aspirations and um, I am also one of the heads of for our Aspire network, which is a women's network, so that's why we know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And we support colleagues from across the co-op to achieve success, uh, you know, if they want to get new jobs, if they want to develop their confidence, if they want new skills, we help them achieve that. How did that all start, do you know? Yeah, so it started probably well over seven or eight years ago now. Um, But you've been here
1: for how long?
0: I've been here on and off for, Seven, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so it started with a couple of ladies kind of coming together and saying there's a lot of things that we aren't really enjoying and that we want to make a difference in. Yeah. And they just founded it and said, Right, let's see oh, what yeah. areas we can focus on. And then we've taken that work and continued to do it and, and made it bigger and better and helped other networks start as well. So yeah, we've now say, got a I? respect network, yeah. which is our LGBTQ, plus colleagues, and um Rise, which is our Fame Network and STRIVE, which is for Youth Network. And then there's Diverse IT. And then there's Diverse IT, yeah. (laughs) Co-op's really, really passionate about diversity, which is funny because actually when we started the organization, we had the Cooperative Women's Guild
1: mm.
0: which was all about helping the, the Pankhurst and the Suffragettes to campaign for equality. And within Co op, from day one, women had the same voting rights as men. So women wow. could become members as long as they paid the pound. So this is
1: like 175 yeah, yeah, yeah. years ago
0: when co op was started. Yeah, because they were reading reckon... about that this morning, that's why I knew how old co op was. That's yeah. not because
1: I it's fascinating. Yeah. It's really good.
0: So we've got a really good heritage of making
1: change in that way. Yeah. So it's great. It is one of those organisations in Manchester City Centre that's got a real reputation for being super accepting. Like people know, everybody here knows to be yourself always is like a catchphrase almost.
0: Yeah. So we have uh, we have colleague behaviours and there's kind of four tenants mm. to it, and one of the biggest ones is is be yourself always, and yeah. we kind of say there's. There's co-op people and once you're here, you sort of fall in love with it and you love the (laughs) ethics behind it. So you go probably
1: above and beyond a bit more than you might do in another organization. Absolutely, and so there's loads of things that we know co-op are doing to bridge the digital skills gap. Can you, obviously you've been here for seven years, can you tell us a bit about your experience with the digital skills gap? If you've experienced it, how um, how did you start, break through that? Barrier, as it were. Um,
0: So I think, I'm I'm relatively young, so I'm 29, so everyone kind of assumes, because, it depends, I feel like an old lady most (laughs) of the time, everyone kind of assumes that because you're under a certain age, you can do all of these technological things and you understand it all, but... One of the biggest things that we notice is you're not trained to do a lot of this in schools so Mm. one thing I'm doing as a an extra on the side of my desk is creating a development strategy for our co-op academies to help our students um, across the Northwest to develop the STEM skills that they need in order to enter the workplace successfully Mm. and across co-op there's there's a huge digital skills gap so it's a big big problem
1: for us but I think it is with most big corporations yeah absolutely Accenture really released a report this week they're not even calling it a skills gap anymore they're calling it a skills crisis yeah
0: it is it's massive it's, it's, it's horrendous. horrendous I have to change
1: the name of the podcast now <laughs> and everything
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's difficult because I think by the nature of co-op you've got a lot of colleagues that have been here for a very long time mm. so they might have done the same jobs for a very long time which means they've not necessarily been upskilled and they've not learned different things because they've not moved about very much yeah. so it can be quite a difficult organisation to create change in and a lot of the agile and digital skills that we need to be successful and we need to you know change at pace yeah. aren't really embedded within the business yet but we're working really hard to change that it's
1: so not just in the co-op that those skills aren't being, it's across the UK, so 12.6 million adults in the UK say that they've got no digital skills at all, and that they're now saying when, when you're applying for a job, any uh, any job, that digital skills are as important on that resume, a, a, on your resume as, that was very American, on your CV as um, maths and literacy skills, yeah. they, they are there's no different like having a C or in GCSE Maths and English people are looking for that same level but there's no way to grade it apart from yeah doing official ICT or computer studies qualifications yeah it's
0: really difficult so as part of the development strategy that we're doing for our co-op academies what we're kind of looking at is the reciprocal relationship that we can have through the co-op and the co-op academies trust to say look we know what skills we need you guys to have because we know what gaps we're seeing at the moment and we kind of understand what's going to come in the future the problem at the moment is a lot of the education that you get through the national curriculum doesn't give you those skills so we're almost having to come into work to be trained to do all that stuff that is wasting a huge amount of money from a business's perspective. And there almost becomes an unconscious bias of not hiring young people or people without skills because you know it's going to cost you so much to get there. Yeah, it's easier not to. Yeah, so what we're going to do more longer term is... Once we can start to show examples of look, these are the skills that we need, this is how we've helped people to develop those skills, these are the organizations we've worked with, we can then lobby the government to say, look, you need to change your education platforms and the way that you work in order to take this in. You're coming to them saying, You need to change
1: this. Yeah. So so it's it's I
0: think the difficult thing is the government are kind of used to you coming and saying, Mm. This is all rubbish, you need to change it. Whereas what we do as a co op is kind of say, Right, this isn't working for so we've tried these things and these have so you're going to them with the solutions rather than just telling them that they're a bit naff yeah. and that they've got loads of problems yeah. and they tend to quite like that and um, mm. so we're looking to partner with um, Manchester City Council as well to share a lot of the stuff that we want to do because we're really lucky because of where we are geographically and because of the Federation which has yeah. got loads of social enterprises in it we can take advantage of those relationships yeah. and kind of leverage big businesses mm. as well to say come and help us because we've got this problem, but you've got this problem too. So let's come together and fix it.
1: What's the outcomes been of that so far, have you had any success stories you can share with us to make us all feel good about (laughs) the
0: future of the digital skills crisis? (laughs) So we're very much in the the starting stages, so what we've been doing is sequencing all the stuff that we've got at the moment, because everyone in co-op likes to go and help, but they help in quite a sporadic way, Mm. so we're saying right let's just pause that, bring everything back together and understand kind of big picture, what are the things that we're doing and how can we do that for all the academies, so we've not done a huge Huge amount yet, but one of the things that we have done is work experience for some of our co-op academies trusts and then some schools wider. Mm -hmm. So I'm a rainbow brownie and guide leader in my spare time because I'm super cool. Yeah. And one of my girls who's just finished her GCSEs was at a school where they wouldn't really support you to go off to do coding, which is what she wanted to do because they don't get any funding or kind of praise for sending kids to do something that's not academic. Mm. Um, So we brought her to Federation and to Digital and we gave her two weeks experience and she absolutely loved it. She built a website, she did loads of different bits. But we managed to get her the right experience to be able to sign up for college courses that she wouldn't have otherwise had the experience for. And now she's off doing it, she loves it, she's having a great time.
1: Isn't it weird that they, for some reason, don't see coding as an academic Skill.
0: I think if it's not a GCSE or an A-level, yeah. it's really, really hard. And I think because of the area that they're in as well, so they're in an area called Partington, which is one mm. of the most socially deprived areas in the UK, there's a lot of second, third generation dole families. So mm. there's kind of an ethos of all you're going to do with your life is um, is get pregnant, have children, go on the dole, and then that will be it for the rest yeah. of your life. And trying to break that stigma is really really difficult so the kids are taught from a very young age that this very small bubble is what you will live in and when you try and show them more than that it's fantastic because it totally raises their aspirations
1: but it can also be really difficult because you've got to really support them to get there and you were saying just before we hit record that The digital skills and the those kind of basic skills are not the first thing that you go in and teach them or no we should be focusing on yeah
0: so um by the co-op academies trust a kind of difference with some other trusts so what they do is go into the areas that really really need them so schools that are really really struggling and help them to build their capabilities to then become really successful. So the challenges that we face, you probably wouldn't get in some others. So one of our schools in Leeds, I think it's 73 different languages are spoken in that school. So your first challenge isn't getting them to pass their exams, (laughs) it's getting them to all be able to communicate with each other and all feel safe and feel welcome and feel part of a culture that they can engage with and that they can be successful through. So one of the things that we're doing through our development strategy is saying, right, all the STEM skills we want them to develop are fantastic. But first, we've got to look at the softer skills. Mm-hmm. So how do we you know, teach people to feel comfortable to have a conversation with someone that they don't know? Interview techniques, writing CVs, being able to read, things like that, that mm-hmm. you would, would completely take advantage of in other yeah. schools, you wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. We've got to go right back to basics. Is and that- even attaching an email or writing yeah. an email, how that can- in itself, we take for granted because we do it all the time. But mm. when you first come in, a lot of the kids have never done that.
1: No, and there's and once you say if you're looking to get into it from childhood or you graduate and you're just coming into it, um, there's always that possibility that you uh, start in one job, especially with the millennials. They say they won't have six jobs uh, in their lifetime, which the previous generation had. Will have six careers. Um, moving a lot faster, changing interests, and mainly because of technology. So they say that by 2022, 54% of uh, the UK employee workforce will have to reskill. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and employers are really
0: aware of that. Mm. So we're looking at it from an IT perspective. If we've got, you know, we might be outsourcing things, we might be putting stuff in the cloud, but how do we make sure that all those great people that we've got, that have got the right attitudes towards things, just because they might not have exactly the right skills, yeah. we can train skills, we can't train attitude. So we look at how we can help people through that and mm. along that journey, because everything's changing at a pace that, is something I think it's something like 20 times the pace that we've mm. ever seen before it is and crazy. the markets are consolidating so quickly that you've got to have all the digital skills you've got to have that agile approach in order to be successful mm-hmm. and competitive because otherwise I mean you guys will have seen it there's that many massive institutions falling by the wayside because they just can't keep up with change
1: What's your journey? Education, reskilling, changing jobs? So start from the beginning. I well, <laughs> start from the beginning. So um
0: I grew up in Salford, which you probably know as an area. Mm -hmm. It's not the best. I got a scholarship to go to um, an all-girls school when I was seven or eight, and was basically brought up that if you got A's, I got to stay in school. Mm. So it was very much, I liked learning, I was a massive nerd. I knew (laughs) if I went back to Salford, I'd probably get beaten up a bit. Mm. Um, And I I just thrived, kind of. Always reading books, very very quiet child. But I knew if I didn't get the grades, I couldn't stay in school. So all the way through my education, it was very much kind of self-motivating. And then I was the first person in my family to go off to university. So I went to Edinburgh. Oh,
1: cool. Um,
0: which is quite different from a, a UK non. What so were you going to say from Salford? And <laughs> I <I've> said, <laughs> very it's different also from different Salford. from Salford. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I. Yeah, I went to Edinburgh. Um, they don't just specialise in one subject. So your first two years, you do a load of different subjects. So I did things like um, social anthropology, literature, geography, maths, sciences, anything, because I just loved broadening my knowledge. And then in your second two years, you specialize. That,
1: yeah, you have to do, it's like another year of school, almost, but you choose. Yes. So you can be a bit more piggy bits. Yeah, and then
0: um, I, was, I was awkward in classic Emma fashion. <laughs> I went, I signed up to study geography, and I got there, and I realized that I really didn't enjoy it. Um, that
1: will do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so they were much more interested in PhD students because they got a load of funding for them. Oh. And I didn't really feel like I was getting what I wanted out of it. Mm. So I said I wanted to change to literature because massive book geek. Yeah. Um, to do that, I had to do everything to pass geography and everything to pass literature. And I said, well, I can't afford to do extra years to do that. So my first two years were spent basically doing double the work. Which so means did
1: two degrees at once.
0: Yeah, so I got an undergrad in geography and a master's in Lit. Oh wow. Um, which was great because my second two my final two years I found really easy because I was like, oh, there's really... It's like there's nothing <laughs> in comparison. So much spare time. Yeah. Um, and wow. then I it was kind of the bubble and there was absolutely no job. So I came back to Manchester to look after my mum because she was poorly, got a temp job in the co-op, um, started as just a data an- admin, mm. inputting a load of stuff about a click and collect project, then became the team leader for that, which was hilarious, and <laughs> then became the technical SME for the project, which was so funny because I have no IT background <laughs> at all, and was like talking about SQL databases and on all of these mm. um, conference calls with people in Manila, and I had it. no idea what I was doing.
1: <laughs> and then um, You did,
0: though, and you were I knew, were I knew, the, I knew the product. Yeah. Like, I knew the things that were going wrong and the things that were causing problems. And I knew there must have been a better way to do something than just get 30 or 40 people to incessantly type something into a computer. <laughs> it just made no sense to me. Um, so that project came to an end really quickly because we realized <laughs> that e-commerce and that no platform way. wasn't going to work for the co-op. Um, so the manager that i had was really nice she got me another temporary job that was in the supply chain department and i slowly kind of probably not slowly every six months or so i moved around it so i decided Mm. there's no graduate schemes at that point i'm going to make my own so i went and did uh, it's called the portfolio team so how do you get all of the ridiculous i.t systems to get stock into shops when they've got a refit or a new launch or they're closing down and then I went to the promotions team. So, how do you manage stock across the whole estate to get the right availability? And then I was told you'll have to stay in this job for two years before we'll let you progress to the next level. And I'm a stubborn mule, so I refused to accept that. <laughs> and went to Britvic for eighteen months. So I did end-to-end supply logistics and value chains. So I managed the whole account for Co-op, and um, looked at how do we drive efficiencies, how do we save money, and found. Uh, horrendous piece of work looking at a buy-in so basically at the end of every year you'll get this with a lot of commercial contact contracts if you don't spend enough money with the supplier then in order to get a big chunk of money you have to spend a certain amount in a really short time to kind of mm. tide you over mm-hmm. and what was happening was it was doubling and then tripling and the, the exponential growth on the size of this every year was ridiculous so i tracked the whole thing and basically proved that it was costing them more than the money they were being paid yeah. to do it to try to stop them doing it um so i did that then realised that breakfast wasn't really for me, I didn't. I wasn't a fan of the ethics, it just wasn't, we didn't gel, and the travel I found really, really difficult. Where so was, was that one? It was just outside London, uh, so I was constantly up and down the M6, yeah. and I get travel sick at the best of times, but I just don't like sitting in a car for <laughs> yeah. that long. Unless so, you're going to get a dog. Unless I'm going to get a dog. <laughs> well, we can talk about that <laughs> we'll later. We talk about that after. <laughs> um, so I came back to co-op to be a change analyst, which was hilarious, because I signed up to Learn from a lot of people that had more experience than mm. me, then there was a recruitment freeze and it was just me, so mm. I ended up having to support eight transformation programmes instead of having one of me for every transformation really programme. Wow. So that was a steep learning curve, yeah. really enjoyed it. Um, I kind of realised that a lot of stuff I thought was just logic was actually really useful. And then I did that for about 18 months. There's a kind of a theme that I get a bit bored when I'm doing the same thing again (laughs) and again. So I went to work for the CEO of the food business, um, Jo Whitfield, so I was her business manager, which is kind of, My job was to figure out what was going wrong with the business and fix it before Joe knew something was wrong, (laughs) which was hilarious, but exhausting. Mm. So I did that for sort of the past 18 months. And during that time, my world completely changed. So my dad got terminal cancer. My mum was diagnosed with a form of Parkinson's disease. And then my dad died in January. Mm. So my world totally fell to pieces. Mm. And I said, I can't keep doing this big job I can't be here all the time. I can't be switched on all the time. I'm just absolutely exhausted. Mm. My mom ended up in hospital for about six months on and off. And mm. she was really, really poorly. And we kind of lost her a couple of times and had to bring her back. Yeah. And I said, my life's got to change. So I knew Danielle and she said, right, um, I've got this new team. I want you in it. What kind of things you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's make it up. And she said, "Right, I want you to go for this." And um, and I applied and I got the job. It was really weird because I was terrified of the interview, even though I knew You're her really, really well. Yeah, yeah. So like, I want to do a good job. So I spent hours and hours
1: prepping for it, and yeah. then it ended up
0: just being a chat. It's,
1: <laughs> it's really funny. Harder to interview with someone that you already know, I, th- I think, because. Oh. they already have an expectation of you yeah and you don't want to
0: let them down which is definitely a female thing um Mm. so yeah and then i did a really really long handover period because we had to make sure that joe was in the right place and that she was going to be okay with the new person Mm. and then i moved over to work for danielle and life is now really relaxed it's lovely and and you you know you're learning loads of new things you spend half your time in meetings where. You don't really know what anyone's talking about (laughs) but i kind of pick stuff up really quickly and go okay i'm gonna ask you questions they might be dumb but just help me understand but it's
1: probably what someone else in the room is thinking and you're just the one that's brave enough to say it out loud yeah (laughs) i don't mind looking like
0: an idiot that's fine um and then yeah so i i took on some bigger responsibilities around um aspire which is great and, and grocery girls, so I founded that with Jo when I was working for her, mm. and now I'm a pillar lead for that, which is hilarious, but I really love it, because there's, there's a lot of stuff that we can do to support
1: women across the grocery industry. Absolutely, and now that you're in, you've, been, you've had big jobs, and you're in a big job now, and you've got, uh, like you said, lots of responsibility, and taking on more. It's fun. It is fun. <laughs> um, do you see, other people at your level and people that uh, if you're in a meeting with lots of senior people is the digital skills gap something that comes up do they see it as an opportunity or do they see it as a hindrance because a lot of press around the digital skills gap is incredibly negative like Accenture calling it the digital skills crisis and all the stats about uh, the amount of jobs that technology is taking away from people with AI and machine learning but the fact that actually It's creating over 20% more jobs than it's replacing. But there's a lot of fear in that because we don't know what those jobs might be. And for senior people, it's their responsibility to fill them and to uh, deliver. Is that conversation on the table? Are you part of it? And how can you or we as a community who are interested in bringing young people in, how can we influence them? So it's definitely a conversation that we have a lot, mm. we're very aware of it within the co-op
0: and I think there's two, there's two mindsets you can take to this and you've hit it the nail on the head there Amy, you can either be really scared of it mm. or you can see this as a massive opportunity and I choose to see it as an opportunity mm. because you could do things the same way as you've always done them and you're never going to learn anything, you're never going to be different, you're never going to be successful because Mm. you're not changing and you're not making things efficient and you're not making things better for people Mm. and you're going to be bored out of your skull, right? Or you can use technology to help you do things better and make things easier and give people the opportunities to grow themselves Mm. because no one wants to come to work to do a bad job right so if we give you a load of technology and a load of things to help you do all the mundane stuff that you don't want to do that frees up your mind and your time to go off and learn so many new things and think about things in a different way Mm. and look at stuff that you know you might have always seen that in exactly the same way because I've stared at that wall for the past 10 years but actually oh wait this is different about it because yeah. now my brain is not busy just thinking about all of the stuff that I've got to do yeah and I think that's to me that's the only way you can look at it if you're going to be scared of it and you're just going to think of it as a threat you're never going to get anywhere and mm. you're just going to busy yourself being really worried and anxious and that's silly
1: and probably- so, holding back Massively. rather than letting go and the thing about the digital skills gap is that we need senior people to let go of their knowledge, yeah. their time in some cases, and the responsibilities to people like yourself who have had, you and you've been uh, someone that has been, I don't know how to phrase, let go to. Yeah, I think, I think I think it can be
0: it can be scary for people and I get mm. that because a lot of I think historically it's not just co-op most organizations mm, definitely knowledge has always been seen as power right yes. and I think one of the big things that we focus on within grocery girls is I could teach you something that it's taken me ten years to learn and that means you don't have to waste ten like years learning something <laughs> yeah so if I share yes. all of my knowledge that doesn't mean that I'm less powerful or mm. I'm less in charge which frankly I couldn't care less about anyway mm. but it means that i'm helping you build your capabilities to do something yeah and it means that we can all become really really good at what we're doing so as an organization we can be even more successful and it to me it's just the right thing to do i i don't really get the other mindset but mm. i think it is because i'm younger and probably a woman
1: it's i think it's a mixture of so many things in the environment that you've been in if you've moved around if you it, it really is a foreign concept to some people and then totally just the norm for a, for a lot of us and that's where the, the bridge of the bridge needs to come yeah <laughs> and i think
0: some of it for us is about kind of dispelling people's assumptions so yeah. there is there is an assumption about young people mm-hmm. and you i've i find it funny because when i so when i worked Around the food, exact. One of them said to me, "Oh, I didn't realize that you were only twenty-eight at that time. Mm. Like, how old did I, how old do you think I was? I was like, oh, nearly forty. Like, do I look that old?" <laughs> and took real kind of joking offence yeah. to it, and he said, "No, no, no. It's just young people don't really know anything." I was like, "Well, we oh. do. You just." you're it's been learned in a different yeah. way right yeah, we're more yeah. like sponges yeah so you absorb knowledge that people don't really realize is going in mm. and i don't think we have to do things in a repetitive manner in order to learn them necessarily so a lot of the great stuff that we do with doris is getting you guys in to show everybody all the great stuff that you can do and kind of make them reconsider things and yeah. look at it a bit differently yeah Because I forget half the time that some of you are Dorises. Mm. Oh, they make me feel really, really old. And then it's just because you're (laughs) all so capable. It's just, uh, you know, we've never considered it before. But we're really hoping that through all the experience that you guys bring, we can start to push the apprenticeship agenda as well. So we've got a massive apprenticeship levy. How do we use that? How do we get all of the kids from our academies to come and do an apprenticeship with us so that we can then get them into the business and help that talent pipeline? for the next generation.
1: Future-proof the whole business as well as the industry. That's a massive uh, thing and Co-op do so much to support that. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us about the Co-op Academy's trust, about how you built your own grad scheme. I love that phrase and I think that's a really important message for people that if you don't get onto the minimal amount of grad schemes that have two places for the thousands of people that apply, make your own, go in at any level and just Get to know people, and yeah,
0: massively.
1: And I think it's almost easier because
0: you're in control of it then, and yeah. you can say, "Do you know what? I don't know about that area. I'm going to go and learn about
1: it. I mm. give it a shot." People are always just people behind the yeah. name, behind the email address, behind whatever. That is something I've learned definitely massively. They're massively. just a person behind. They're not. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah.
0: Like... It's everyone is just at the end of the day. If you walked into them in the street. You wouldn't know no. that they were in charge of an yeah. organisation or they earned whatever money. It doesn't matter. They're no. just people. Just be nice to them and they help you.
1: A perfect message to end on. Thank you so much for coming and joining us and please tune in to the next episode of Bridging the Gap. Thanks, Emma. Bye. Bye.